Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on Transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now, for our podcast teaching. I want to start with a series of questions, and I want you just to rhetorically answer them to yourself. Now, I say that rhetorically because in Bible class here at the school with the kids, whenever I say this is a rhetorical question, they always shout out the answer, and inevitably, somebody gets embarrassed, okay? So I don't want that to take place. I want you guys just to think about it and answer it in your own minds. But I want you to ask yourself this. How can I live God's will? Now, I know that's a very big question for us to tackle. But I want you to think about that, that, that question. How can I live God's will? Or maybe a good follow-up question to that is this. Do I want to live God's will. Because if we really just strip it away and if we get soul naked and we're just making ourselves a little bit of vulnerable here right now, I think for a lot of people, the answer is no, I really don't want God's will. Jesus says we should pray for God's will in our life and actually seek to live it out. Because while you're living here on this earth, you can be the one living out God's will in your life. You can choose to let your will supersede His or let His will supersede yours. So what are you going to choose? And I want to tell you today to seek to live in God's will in His purpose for your life. The problem is more people live for these kingdoms. I'm going to show them right here. Next slide. Now, there we go. We live for these kingdoms up here rather than for God's kingdom. Now, for those of that are online, like I said, we don't have the PowerPoint available. I have a picture of the Disney kingdom. And I have a kingdom of Miami, Florida. And a lot of times we live in these kingdoms. We live, and just so everybody knows, I'm not picking on Disney or anything like that. I'm talking about a fantasy. We live in a fantasy kingdom of everything is a bowl of peaches, everything's okay. Have you ever seen the Lego movie, Everything is Awesome? We live in that mentality. It's the Pollyannic view of everything. And then for other people, they live in the fantasy of it's all about the here and now. That's why I have the picture of Miami. It's all about right here and right now what I can do to get ahead. The worldly idea. So you have a fleshly idea and a worldly idea and it's all about what kingdom are you living for? A fantasy kingdom? A worldly kingdom? Or His kingdom? If you turn to Matthew chapter 
6. Scripture tells us what a disciple of Jesus Christ should be seeking in their life, what they should be praying for in their life, and who they should be living for. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. And believe me, when we go over just one verse today, that's being ambitious. Because this verse is loaded. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, it does not matter. It does not matter if a donkey or an elephant won the elections. It doesn't matter in your life and in my life who is sitting as president. It doesn't matter any of those things. What matters is who is sitting king in your life. Amen? Who is sitting triumphant in your life? And if you're praying for Him to sit triumphant in your life, because you are to ask it, Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on this earth, in this moment, just like it is in heaven. The phrase, Your kingdom come, is something we, we say. But I don't think we dwell on its meaning that often, do we? You know how many times I've heard this prayer, the Lord's Prayer prayed? I mean, almost every single time uh, we would go to play softball, um, we, Mr. Joe would assign somebody to, to um, lead a devotion. And so at, at the church, whenever he assigned somebody, everybody did a really good job. I remember the first time Tony did it. Where's Tony? I'm picking on Tony a little bit. He's in the back. I remember the first time Tony did it, he was, he was just full of ums and ahs, but he did a fantastic job. I remember the first time I had to do it. I was the same way. I was so nervous because I was like, oh, I don't know what's going to go on here. And, but, you know, we all put some time and effort into leading this devotion for the church. But when other teams had to do it, they always did this. Well, guys, we're going to play some ball here, so um, how about we do the off father? And that's what they would always, always do. 90% of the time, what we'd end up doing when other teams were leading us in our devotion time, we would end up doing our father. But we'd never really talk about its implications and the importance of what we were just saying. And a big portion that we kind of just breeze through is your kingdom come, your will be done. But what is this kingdom that we're praying for? What is this kingdom that we're asking for? Well, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, looking at verses 24 to 28, this is known as the the passage of, of the gospel, you know, 1 Corinthians 
15 and verses 1 to 4, it speaks about what the gospel is. And then it talks about the power of the gospel to conquer sin and death. But there's something great within the middle of that sandwich here, and that's verses 24 to 28, where it says, Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all the rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son Himself also will be subjected to the One who subjected all things to Him, so that God may be in all things and over all things. Brothers and sisters, what this is talking about is there will be a time when Jesus will reign over everything and everyone. And when His enemies have been made humble... Christ will hand over the kingdom to God the Father. And and Scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 21, at that time, God will literally remake heaven and earth and God the Father will dwell with us on earth. But what has to come first is the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom of Messiah, where he sits on the throne of David for a thousand years. His people for a thousand years will be with him and he with his people, and they will reign with no curse on the land. Where the lion and the lamb, Scripture tells us, will lie together in the grass with no fear of attack. Where all people will be subject to the physical rule of King Jesus. And we can say amen to that. Amen? Amen. And there's no vote needed for that because King Jesus will do it Himself. Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 to 6, it says this, Then I saw thrones, and they sat down on them, and judgment was given to them. And who's that them? That's the saints. 1 Corinthians chapter two, uh, 6, verse 2 says that believers will judge the angels. Paul writes and he says, Are you not aware that we, we Christians, will judge the heavenly beings? So listen to this. Judgment was given to them, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus. And because of the Word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the One who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years.
The king will sit on his throne. Amen? Amen. When we pray for the kingdom, we're praying for this right here. We're praying for the tribulation to take place. We're praying for all the things that we read in Revelation to take place so Jesus can sit on the throne of God. So Jesus can sit on the throne of David. So Jesus can rule all the nations. Amen? We're praying for the curse to be lifted from the land. We're praying for the defeat, finally, of sin and death. We're praying for what God intended from the beginning. Where Adam was to rule the world and to manage it as an heir of God. But he ruined it. You see, when Jesus comes, He's coming to a curseless earth. Prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11, it says that it will take place through the line of David. The root of Jesse will rule righteously. That's Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. It says that the lion and the calf will be able to graze together in peace, and the wolf and the lamb. They will sleep alongside one another in verses 6 and 7 because there is no predator and there is no prey. Think about that. When the curse came, that's when sharks started doing the baby shark doo-doo and gobbling up the other sharks and the other fish and things like that. But when King Jesus sits on His throne, There's no, not going to be any hunger for meat. Thorns and thistles will go away. The ground will give its fruit. The rains will pour. The baby, it says in verse 8, will play with the venomous snake without fear of being bitten because the curse will be done away. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4 says that the ground will be fertile. No thorns, no weeds, no dryness, no sand. That people will decide, you know what? We can't keep up with all this. Let's turn our rifles. Let's turn our swords. Let's turn our weapons of warfare into farming equipment for a millennia. And it says that Satan will be bound There will be no demons, no devils, no wars, no curse on the land for a thousand years of peace in King Jesus. This is what every believer, when we pray this prayer, is praying for this time right here. The Isaiah 11 time, the Isaiah chapter 2, Two time, the, uh, the, the revelation thousand years time. We're praying for this right here. Lord, we want You to come and sit on the throne. We want You to rule. We don't want wars. We don't want the curse of the land. We don't want any more death. Romans chapter 8 says it's not just us that's crying out for this. This is what every believer calls for, but this is what the entire creation calls for. Scripture says that the earth 
longs for His kingdom to come. And it grumbles for it. It calls to God for it. It yearns for it. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 19 and on. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The revealing of the sons of God is literally when we get our new bodies. When we come down and reign with Him. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Creation didn't want to be part of the curse. The lion didn't want to become a predator. Vines didn't want to get thorns. The earth didn't want to get dry. But because of Him who subjected it, why did He do that? In hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery, slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Brothers and sisters, the earth is waiting for you, the children of God. Amen? Amen. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, we are part of that first fruits that we just read in Revelation. And we're waiting for that new body, that glorious body, where we will reign with Jesus for a millennia. Amen? And that's what we're calling for. Please, Lord, free us from corruption of sin. Please, Lord, free us. Remove the evil around us, the pain, the disease, the cancers. Are you sick and tired of hearing of people dying of cancer? Then pray this prayer. Are you sick and tired of, of corona and the masks and things like that? Amen. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of not being able to hug people and go to the hospital when somebody's sick or dying. So I pray this prayer. Lord, Your kingdom come because I'm sick of this. Why? Because during Jesus' reign, this world will see how God's plan for that garden were to have lived out and played out. But until that day, until that day, I am either breathing my last or calling for the rapture or until I'm, I am taken up, we have a job to do. And you know what that job to do is? Brothers and sisters, it's the second half of this verse. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. You know what, brothers and sisters? We should want His kingdom. But we shouldn't just want His kingdom to come. We should want to be part of His kingdom. Do you know that? Lord, we want this time to take place. We want this to happen. We want perfection in this world. We want your original creation. And we want to be part of it. Scripture says, the saints will rule in His return with Him. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. I want you to write these down. I want you to go home and I want you to study these. Write these down real quick. I'll, I'll read them a little slower. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. 
It says that we will reign with Him. Revelation chapter 20, verses 4-6. through Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, 17-19. Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. Daniel chapter 7, verse 26 and 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And Romans chapter 8, verse 17. These are just verses that talk about reigning with Him. Not just the reward part, the reigning with Him. That you are heirs of Jesus. That you are co-heirs with Jesus. And that you will reign when Jesus comes to reign on His throne. But the reigning is reserved for those that have been faithful while we wait. I know this isn't a popular subject to hear. A lot of people, they get a little upset when they hear about rewards in heaven because they look at heaven as the reward. But heaven is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it lets us know, for it is by grace through faith you have been saved. It is a gift of God so that no man can boast. You have eternal life as a gift. Heaven's a gift. Heaven is a gift. It's free. You did not earn it. It was given to you at the cost of Jesus Christ. Amen? So what is the reward? The reward is being part of His kingdom. Church, we must pay attention to the idea of rewards. I know that it's not popular. I know that some people don't like the idea of rewards in heaven. And I know that people kind of look at it kind of sideways. But God doesn't deal soci- like in, in a socialist way where it's just everybody's the same. Everybody's getting the same. Everybody's doing the same and things like that. That's what heaven is. Heaven's a free gift. And He gives it to everyone that believes. Scripture tells us we have to pay attention to these ideas of reward and reigning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Go there with me, and I want you to circle this in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, go ahead and circle it there. I don't mind. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. To who please who? To please God. That's what it's talking about. For he who comes to God must believe that He is. Okay, you have to believe that Jesus is God. You've got to believe that God is God. You've got to believe in Yahweh. That's what it's talking about. And I want you to read this second passage with me. Read it with me. And that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. I only heard my voice, so let's do that again. Ready? And that... He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. God wants us to be eagerly yearning for His reward. In fact, He tells us in Revelation, hey, I'm coming back and my reward is coming with me. He wants us to believe that He's a rewarder of people. Of His followers. So be a busy servant like those in Matthew chapter 25, seeking to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. But what does that look like? 
What does it look like to be busy and faithful while we're waiting for His kingdom? What does it look like to be the well done, my good and faithful servant, the faithful servant? Well, the second part of Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 lets us know. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Take a look at it with me. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second half of the verse lets us know what we should be doing until He returns. The second half of the verse lets us know how we need to be busy about His work until the King returns. It says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What this verse is saying is, as long as I am here, as long as I wait, as long as I am waiting on you, and you waiting on me, I will be living for you. I will be living your will, Lord, as long as I'm here. As long as my feet are on the ground and I'm not six feet under. As long as I'm not called up into the clouds in the rapture to be with you. I'll be living for you here on earth. I love going and visiting my folks up in Titusville. Um, in fact, I'm going to be going in a little while for Thanksgiving, and we all love getting together at Thanksgiving, don't we? We all love getting together at Thanksgiving because it seems like that's the time that, you know, everybody quits arguing for a little while with family, and, and you know, we put all things aside, and we love up on each other, and we're thankful for each other, and, you know, it, it's a great time. It is a great time. It's great to catch up. And I like doing it um, where I just hang out with my folks, you know, the day before and things like that. That's a special time. Because, like I said, I'm the youngest of six. You guys know that. I've, been, I've said that many times up here. And when Thanksgiving comes, it's actually very chaotic. There's, you know, like a gazillion grandkids and great-grandkids and things like that. So there's just people, you know, people are coming out of the soda cans. There's so many people everywhere. So it's good to just have that, that small time where we sit down with a cup of coffee and I'm just hanging out talking to my folks. We spend hours just in the rocking chairs because if you know anything about the Wallace family, we love our rocking chairs. And we sit in the rocking chairs just drinking coffee and talking. But the funny thing is, is while we're doing that and, and I'm sitting there talking to mom and she's in the, she always sits, she doesn't rock. My dad's the rocker, I'm a rocker, Meg's a rocker. You know, so, you know, um, she always sits in the kitchen. And as she's sitting in the kitchen, you see her start to get fidgety. And she'll start, you know, fiddling with her fingers and then she'll start tidying up napkins and moving them and angling them correctly. And then inevitably, about a half hour into the conversation, mom jumps up, she grabs a rag, and she starts wiping stuff. And you're going, mom, what are you doing? And she's going, oh, I'm just tidying up a little bit. And then she starts wiping things. And you don't know how my mom cleans. Okay, my mom, when we used to clean at our house when I lived there, she would literally lift up furniture and clean under the furniture. And, and for those of you that are Hispanic moms, you know the house is not clean until it smells like Clorox. And that is kind of how my mom operates too. You know, everything has to move. You know, you, you have to put all the furniture in the middle of the house 
wipe all the baseboards and all the walls, and I think I see something on the ceiling, you know? And you're wiping everything with Clorox. It's getting in your eyes, on your clothes. I mean, don't wear your nice clothes when you're helping mom clean. And so that's what my mom decides to do at 11.30 at night as everybody's talking and relaxing. And I always inevitably grab my mom's hand and I try to grab the rag, you know, as she's clinching it, like fighting me over it. And I say, Mom, just calm down. I just want to talk. Let's hang out. Let's just, you know, oh, no, I'm just doing a little bit of stuff right here. Don't worry. While we're talking, that's what she always says. While we're talking, I might as well do this. I might as well tidy up. And then she'll start t taking the stuff out. My, we taught my mom how to use the dryer, the, the washer, the washing machine, okay, for, for years. And I know that many of you are guilty of this because I see the smile already cracking on your faces. It's not just for drying. You don't take clean plates and put them in there. That's not the use of the dishwasher. The dishwasher is actually to clean the dishes, okay? All right, so my mom, she used to always just dry and use it as a drying rack. And now she uses it to wash the dishes, although she washes it before it goes into the washer. But still, we've gotten her that far. And so she'll start jumping up. It's 12 o'clock at night now, and she's just clanking dishes inside of the, where they go. And well, Mom, just calm down. Let's just talk. Well, while I'm here, I'll do this. And you see, that is the mentality that we need to take in this life. We need to take this mentality that as long as I'm here, as long as I'm waiting, as long as this is taking place, I'll be cleaning. But I'm not cleaning the things around me, I'm cleaning me. As long as I'm waiting on Christ's return, as long as I'm waiting until death or until the rapture, as long as I'm waiting in this life, I'm going to be removing the things that aren't right. I'm going to be dusting the skeletons out of my closet. I'm going to be taking the dirt and lust and covetousness that I've swept under the rug. I'm going to take out the anger and guilt and bitterness that has been trying to settle on my life. Because while I'm waiting, I'm going to do some cleaning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, it says, For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ. To live is spring cleaning while I'm waiting. But if I am to live on in this flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. Living means laboring, working, cleaning house, so to speak. And we need to live, as Paul said, as a fruitful labor. Meaning in every circumstance, trying to see how we can impact the kingdom of God. How we can grow it. How we can reach people for it. And praying that it comes. Amen? So our prayer life needs to be about seeking the Lord and seeking Him and trying to live by what He calls us to in His Word. When Paul said he was an ambassador in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20, he was saying, I am a foreigner speaking and living in a land that's foreign on behalf of my king. Think about that. That's how we need to live. As foreigners. Living in this world, in this land, on behalf of our king. 
When I speak, it's not my words, it's His words. And that's how we should approach things. When we work, it's not for ourselves, it's for Him. When we live, it's to show people how people of the Kingdom of God live. Amen? To pray this prayer with any meaning in our lives, with any impact in the words that we pray, what we need to do is we need to be seeking His will. And what is His will? It's the word thelema in the Greek. And it means to request a desire or a wish of something that's wanted. So in essence, what we're saying in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 is, God, what you want done, let it happen on earth, just like it happens in heaven. And listen, I want you guys to know a lot of times we look at, you know, the, the passage of on earth as it is in heaven. We're like, well, of course, it's easy for angels to do God's will. But it's not. It's not. It's hard. They're met with the same adversary that we have, they have. Scripture says in Daniel chapter 10 that when Daniel prayed, God said, hey, Gabriel, go down there and I want you to give him the answer right now. It says that Gabriel had to fight the king of Persia, the demonic king of Persia, for three days. That's not easy, is it? No, battles aren't easy. So it's hard to do God's will in heaven just as it is on earth. But you know what? God's will gets done in heaven. Because the angels see God in all His glory and they say no matter what, this man is holy. This man is amazing. This is the Creator of all that spoke all things into existence. And whatever He asks it is right and righteous and good. And what about you? Are you trying to please God and do His will? No matter what? No matter the struggles? No matter the circumstances? No matter the challenges? Are you trying to get His will done in your life? What is God's will for your life? What is the print that He's left for our path? What is God's will? Well, here's a few, and this isn't all of them. Scripture gives us exactly what He wants us to live in. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, The will of God is that you be transformed by His Word and not be conformed to this world any longer. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, 7, verse 10, it says, God's will for believers is to feel guilty so that you ask forgiveness and reject the wrong that you're doing. He wants you to feel guilty when you're sinning. That's God's will. Ephesians 6, 5 and 6, it says that His will is that He wants workers to do their best even when their boss isn't looking. Even when their boss isn't around, He wants you to work for Him. That's God's will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, God's will is that you stay sexually pure. That's God's will for your life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, God wants, His will is for us to always be thankful no matter what. No matter what circumstance we're in. He wants us always to find reason to be thankful and joyous. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, God's will is that instead of retaliating, that we should still do the right thing in every circumstance. 
In 2 Peter 3.9, one of my favorite, God's will is that none should perish, but all to come to the understanding of salvation. That is God's will in a nutshell for our lives. And how do we fit in in this? When we call for His will, we need to be active seeking it. When we pray for His kingdom, we need to be active in living it. When we pray Your kingdom come, we need to be active in showing it to other people. Amen? And how are we doing? Have you been fulfilling God's will in your life and living by His will? Who do you want to rule your life? Him or you? Listen, long ago I realized I screwed up my life so much doing it my way that I just handed it over to Him. And yes, I still hit lots of bumps in the road, but you know what? Usually that's because it's my fault. It is always my fault, to be honest. But the happiest thing was when I said, Lord, you take over. I'll live your will. Are you dwelling more on, let me get you on this one. Are you dwelling more on the elections than on the king that's seated at the right hand of God? What should we be dwelling on more? Jesus tells us to seek the things above. Seated at the right hand of God is what Colossians says. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it tells us to seek His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. So, what are we to do instead of thinking of the person who's sitting on the White House? Think of the person that's sitting on the White Throne, amen? Mark chapter 3, verse 35. Jesus reveals God's will. He enacts God's will. He enables God's will for us to live by. He draws us into God's will and invites us to be a part of God's will by His grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 3, verse 35, He says this, For whoever does the will of God, He is my brother and my sister and my mother. You see, the first part of God's will in your life is that you know Him. Is that you know Him, that you've put your trusts into Jesus as your Savior. That's the first part of God's will. And the next part is to let that be known. When we allow Jesus to work in us, when we let His love and grace shine in us and through us and pour out of us, then we are living His will, brothers and sisters. When our salvation takes over and makes change in us and is infectious in us and we pour out on others, we are living His will. Doing God's will is not earning salvation. It's allowing God to work through you and in you for His kingdom so it can be seen here until it comes. Amen? Amen. Living His will is living with His kingdom in mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. 
Living God's will is never going to be easy. I'm not saying you wake up in the morning and it's like, ah, I'm going to stop conforming to this world. No. It's a decision, it's a choice that we have to walk daily. But as an ambassador of His kingdom, for one trying to show the world the joy of living for Him, pray every day that His will and His kingdom becomes alive in you. Amen? Amen. That's the power of praying this prayer. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.